You're listening to the CPR of Life podcast, a show about creating community through connection, awakening potential, and uncovering the resilience of the human spirit through an understanding of state of mind. It's about living a life well-lived and uncovering what often gets in the way. Welcome to episode number eight. I have the absolute pleasure today of chatting with someone whose work continues to inspire me. Dr. Jack Pransky is a Three Principles author, trainer, and practitioner. I had the pleasure of attending a workshop led by Jack earlier this year, where I learned so much about the power of deep listening. The love and passion that Jack has for what he does comes through in his books, but it's even more evident when you meet him in person. So welcome, Jack. I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, not really, but I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just don't like to talk about myself. That's why. But, but I, I've been involved with the three principles for something like since 1991 or thereabouts. And before that, I was involved in the field of prevention of all kinds of problem behaviors like alcohol and drug abuse and child abuse and delinquency and teenage pregnancy, teenage suicide, that kind of stuff. And um, when I got exposed to the three principles, it just completely turned around the way that I see my work and then kind of seeped into my life. And there's no way I can turn away from it because it just – it, it became so much of a part of me that um, yeah, you can't turn away from what's a part of you because it's really a part of you. Yeah. So um, I've been doing that ever since. So for our uh, listeners who don't know what the three principles is, Jack, could you explain that? Well, uh, it's really tough to describe in a very short time, but What I will say is that, like gravity, there are principles that exist in the the world, whether we know it or not. So, like, gravity holds us to the earth even before people know anything about gravity. So so there are principles um, that operate within the human mind that are at the level of gravity. So the first one is universal mind, which is like the energy behind life, the energy behind all of life that seems to have an intelligence attached to it. And, and then there's the, the power of consciousness, which is our ability to be aware of life and, and, and to um, m- make life come alive for ourselves. And then there's the power of thought, which is our creative power to um, come up with anything in our minds. And what's important about it is that anytime we get a thought about something, that is just happening in the outside world. So what's happening is what's happening. And then we get a thought about it. And we make meaning of it for ourselves. 
And that's why we feel the way that we do about something. It's not because of what's happening in the outside world. It's because that whatever's happening in the outside world gets filtered through our, gets filtered through mind, consciousness, and thought, and ends up giving us a real feeling, real quote unquote, because it gets sent right through the senses and we really feel it. So we believe in the reality of it. But, but when people are able to see through the three principles that it's not reality at all that they feel compelled to act out of, it's that they are making up essentially inadvertently what they are calling reality, which then they're acting out of. And that behind all that, in our pure consciousness that comes to us directly from universal mind, so it comes into us pure, our pure consciousness, uncontaminated by any thoughts, we are pure peace, love, and wisdom. And we can tell that because when our mind calms down of our our typical thinking, then we just... uh, experience much more calm in our life and we see things with more perspective we're more peaceful we're more loving so in a nutshell that's the three (laughs) (laughs) it's it's such a powerful thing like you say and i think once you are awakened to it you can't not no you can't i don't not not acknowledge it's, it's, it's there. It's within you. Um, you have written a lot of books and I have used your books with kids a lot. What is a thought and what is wisdom? Um, but you've got a range of books. You've got parenting books. You've got, you know, even like the prevention from the inside out. I just got that. I haven't read it yet. Um, you have a very beautiful way of articulating this to anybody. And that's the beauty of this is that it fits all. There's nobody who's immune from this. When you wrote your books, um, what is a thought and what is wisdom? Did you have a particular kind of age range in mind or what kind of prompted that you writing those two books? Well, I was very, very good friends with a, um, a teacher who taught, um, anywhere from kindergarten through second grade. So that started out to be the age range that we had in mind. And then um, Amy Dulcimer, my my writing partner at the time, uh, she got involved through her school with something called the social thinking movement. And they so we were we were in the process of writing that book together at the time and the social thinking movement is about kids who have social thinking difficulties mm. and so it it kind of morphed from that age group into any kid who has social thinking difficulties and um but I, but what I've noticed is that uh, it's also for adults. <laughs> I was going to say that because I've used it when I'm working one-on-one with kids. Often I'll invite the parents to be part of um, either we read it together 
or we go through some of the points of the book, but it's just as much for adults as it is for kids. Yeah, and that's um, that's what's nice about it. Yeah, I, I must say I didn't I didn't uh, have that in my mind when I wrote it. <laughs> when we yeah. wrote it, it's um, and I also think it's like I've used it with with kids that are a little bit older than the, than grade two, and it is it's a great book for all ages. I think it's a good conversation starter. Yeah, and what I like about it most is not the. Not really the content of the book itself, excuse me. <coughs> the, um, the book is a, is, a, is a conversation stimulator. Yeah. Like, for example, in What is Wisdom, I list, we list uh, maybe 50 questions or something like that, that during the process of going through the book together, well, we want people to read it first, uh-huh. but then going back through it and asking those questions of, of the kids, you know, you can really get into a wonderful discussion about uh, everything. So, for, for example, I, when, when you told me you wanted to talk about uh, the book, I highlighted a couple of things. Like, this is in, in What is Wisdom? So there's a part that says, um, and I suppose I should, you know, we, have a, we have a great illustrator, so... I love the illustrations, yeah. <laughs> That's Tina Du Sablon, uh, who illustrates it. So it says, um, wisdom is a knowing, something just feels right. From way deep inside, we get an insight. Like when a light bulb turns on at night and fills the room with light. Now, that's an image that, the kids kind of have to make sense of in their lives. So there might be a question in the back. I'll probably, we're not going to be able to find it now, but, um, well, I'm not going to be able to find the the one that has just exactly to do with that question. But for example, um, what does this mean to you? I'll never be alone again because I've got wisdom as my friend. That's what does that mean? You know, I mean, that's a really powerful thing. I was just going to say, it's a very you powerful thing. can grasp what that means. Um, they would be so comforted. So we get into a discussion about what it means together, just from the stimulation of, of the book. Did you? So um, that was just an example. And from what is a thought? You know, uh, like my favorite one is um, this is this is the picture. Yeah. Whoops! 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 Okay. So there's lots of things that can give us a fright, like monsters hiding under our bed at night. But when monsters and creatures come out of the blue, the secret to know is they're just made-up thoughts too. Made-up thoughts. What does that mean? I mean, if if kids realized that the monsters they think are hiding under their bed are just their own thinking, that they've used their creative power of thought to come up with, and it comes through the senses, so it really feels like it's real, so they get freaked out. Um, They realize, wait a minute, this is just my own thinking? How comforting is that? So, so that's 
a kind of, a couple of examples um, that I hope will have an impact on both kids and their parents. And, and I've seen from from feedback that I've gotten that that actually has happened. Definitely, I've seen it as well with the kids that I work with. Um, did you write what is what is a thought, and then is what is wisdom? Again, the same age range, or did you know by that point the impact what is a thought is having and that it could hit a larger audience? Well, when we first started writing it, we we actually had a vision for three books, one about thought, one about wisdom, and one about consciousness. We never did write the one about consciousness because it just started to get too complicated. So um, we figured we'd keep it simple at thought and wisdom. But oddly, I think oddly, the social thinking group that published What is a Thought? A Thought is a Lot did not want to publish What is Wisdom and Where Do I Find It? Because they thought that it would go over the heads completely of the, pe- of the kids who had social thinking problems. Now, we happen to disagree with that. I, and I tried everything yeah. in my power to get them to see beyond what they were thinking about it, but, but they never did. So we ended up publishing that alone, and we just did that right through Amazon, okay. the Amazon publication. Well, that's interesting. That, and it's, it's exactly, my experience has been exactly the opposite. Kids pick up on this so much quicker than adults do. I would have, I would think so. And it doesn't matter um, <clears throat> kind of what labels are, um, are attached to the child. I found that um, on a variety of spectrums, kids get this and kids find a lot of comfort in kind of owning their own wisdom. Yes, that's, that's really great. And kids have wisdom whether they uh, have have social thinking difficulties or any other difficulties at, at all, you know? And there's always wisdom behind all of us, no matter what our problems are, no matter what our presenting behavior is. And when kids can, or adults and adults can tap into that, um, we've really got something there. You've done a lot of work with youth and children throughout your career. So you, you know, like you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, oddly, though, most of the work that I did with kids, uh, I did before I came, I became involved with the three principles. Hmm, I didn't know that. I've done little work with kids since I became involved with the three principles, but that has not really been my bailiwick. But like Amy Kehofer, my co-author um she works with kids with this stuff all the time because you know she happens to be in the classroom with them yeah now she has seen tremendous results and like i say i'm it's 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 one of my my main things that i use when i'm starting discussions with kids or kind of you know in school um I find it a staple for me, you know, and I've recommended the book to quite a few people. Um, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I, I, I think I contacted you 
when I was trying to find, remember what is a thought in Canada on Amazon? It was a ridiculous price. It was like $300 yeah. or something. That wasn't my doing, that's no. for sure. <laughs> but I appreciate you found another publisher that I could get it through. Um, now, the other book that I do tend to use a lot from you is the Parenting from the Heart. And I didn't tell you that I wanted to touch on that one. But that's also a, a, a nugget of gold. I, I had to learn that the hard way. Mm. Uh, I had been involved with the three principles for maybe five years then something like that when I first wrote it. And it didn't even, I mean, I knew that it was helping my own state of mind when I was with my kids, but I saw an interaction with my daughter and my now ex-wife that really cemented the whole thing for me. And I was like um, sitting apart from it. I remember this is in, this is in the book. I'll never forget her saying that because they were having a knockdown, drag out fight, and it was like butting heads like that. And she said, "You you don't you don't um, sit me on your lap anymore and tell me how much you love me. You're just on my case." And in and, and that moment, I really saw how right she was, my daughter was, that if we're going to try to discipline kids at all, if we don't do that with a feeling of love in our hearts in the moment, they're not going to hear anything. Yeah. So we may as well save our breath. Or... Before we deal with them about anything that we have to discipline about, we have to get our minds right first if we want it to be heard. Because if, if a kid is, if, 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 an, if a parent is in a state of anger, that kid is not going to be living in an environment of love at the time. They're going to be living in an environment of anger. Their walls are going to go up. Anything we say to them is going to bounce off their head instead of being absorbed into it. Right. Yeah. And, and um, it, it, it's just as much for our benefit as, as it is for theirs. I was going to say that. that so, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say so much discipline. So much discipline is done out of anger. Yeah. And it's never heard. It's never heard because the kids are just, in a, in a, uh, I've got to protect myself state. And that's all that happens. That's all they can absorb. I've got to protect myself now. Because it's also, they, they feel where the, the parent is coming from and you're never smarter when you're angry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And the other little, um, nugget if you could say from that book is is the is the notion of um kids are always learning from us but not necessarily what we want them to be learning because they watch us very closely they don't listen to our words 
but they listen to what we do. Yeah. And what I've noticed is what's really helpful with kids is to ask ourselves, what am I learning? What is my kid learning right now from my interaction with them? Like, for example, if a, if a you know, kid is causing a ruckus in a store and, and uh, the parent says to the kid, you know, if you don't come right now, I will leave you. And then they don't leave them. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the message that the kid is getting? There's so many messages. There's so much learning that the kid is doing at that time. And it's not what we want them to be learning at all. So just by asking ourselves that question, by stepping back and asking, um, it, would, it would really be helpful to parents. I was doing a, <clears throat> excuse me, a Facebook Live yesterday with a, a friend of mine, and we were talking exactly about this. And it's like a, almost like a parenting temper tantrum that you're having in the moment. That there's, mm-hmm. there's times where you just have to step back. And it's a challenge when you're in the moment and you, you can see like there's sometimes, it doesn't happen very often with Finley, but I will lose my temper with them. But I can see it. And now I just remove myself. I said, you know what, I'm just going to go here for a couple minutes, like sit in my room, do whatever, until I can kind of come down out of my thoughts, the ticker tape of my thoughts. And the ticker tape of my thoughts is never what Finley's done. It's the story that I've created around it that I'm reacting to. Exactly. And, and, and so, so now the, the important thing about that is now when you get into a temper tantrum <laughs> or when you get angry, the, it used to mean, that used to mean something different than it means to you now. Yeah. Like it used to mean I've got to, you know, I've got to deal with this thing, you know, right now. And now it means to you I've got to wait. I've got to step back until I regain my bearings, can come back with love, and and then the, then the discipline, if it's necessary, will take hold. Yeah. Something I learned from you um, at the workshop we did in April that I've it's changed me profoundly with my clients and as a parent is the deep listening. Um, and I heard it differently than I did. It's, it's in your books that I'd read, but I, I heard it differently in April. Can we talk about the power of that? Because there's a tremendous power in it. When we are in the process of falling in love with somebody, we are incredible deep listeners. We are not necessarily listening to that person's words we are picking up the feeling from them. We're watching them very carefully. We're seeing all kinds of things behind what they're saying. It's a natural way that we are. And then when we start to get to know them a while, we forget all about it. And we just start listening to our own thinking mostly. We start listening to our reactions. We lose the person. But when we're falling in love, 
and everybody has had this experience. We are just totally there with them. We are just being with them, taking them in, letting them wash over us, not thinking about it too much, just, and that's deep listening. And we can do that with everybody, even people who we would say drive us crazy. It is possible to drop into that same state with people, with our kids who are, might be driving us nuts in any moment, um, with our neighbors, with our spouses, our partners, um, with people we don't usually like. It's possible to be in that state of just being with someone with nothing on our mind, being like an empty vessel, just taking them in. And we'd be surprised what we would pick up if we didn't get distracted by our own thinking. That, excuse me, that, that for me, um, I thought I was a good listener before. And when we were talking in April, um, one of the things I realized that I was doing with some of my clients was I wanted to, to point them to, to their resilience or, or their wisdom. So I had an agenda. So I wasn't mm-hmm. being an empty vessel. I was, you know, and it's like, I think uh, I was talking to a client the other day who she had had a, interaction with her son and she was waiting for him to apologize she wanted him to say the words mm-hmm. and when i said to her look like he's <laughs> if you're sitting with this expectation again the, you're not really listening mm-hmm. and that's did, an incredibly you, powerful. did you hear that um <laughs> she's heard it a couple of times from me i think it's still I <laughs> think she's still processing it. Yeah, see, one of the things that I've noticed yeah. is that we have to get, we have to help our clients be really good deep listeners with us at, at the same time that we are deep listening with them. Like when it's, so we're either listening or we're talking. And as soon as we switch to talking mode, we want them to be in deep listening mode. So they really take in what we're saying. It's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, and you say it like listening, listening without, and even like when you're hearing the words, it's, it's, it, it goes deeper than that. Way deeper. Way, yeah. Yeah. Because like in that situation that you were describing, so... The mother wanted to to hear the words, I'm sorry. Well, there's so much going on behind that. Like, like we could get curious and we could be puzzled. All right. The, the, The kid knows I'm supposed to say I'm sorry now, but he's not saying it. Now, that doesn't compute. 
I know I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. I'm not saying what what's going on behind that in his or her mind that is that is making her not want to apologize. That would be something to really deeply listen to. And then the, the, that if, if that mother took a step back from herself and from her kid and really asked that of herself, got really curious and puzzled by it and, and asked the kid questions about, you know, I, I've noticed that you're not wanting to say you're sorry right now. I'd like to know, I'd like to know more about like what's going on within you that is making you not do it. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. I'm just, I'm just wanting to know what's, what's behind that. And that opens us, if it's done in a good feeling, that opens up the possibility of um, really going to a new level with, with a kid. It's, and that's exactly that's <laughs> I think that the deep listening is is there and it's it's creating the space but and creating it with love and often yeah. you can't go into deep listening if you're in the heart of uh, the heat of a you know you're feeling angry um right what I've noticed yeah and that's the same for all of us yeah as much as I know about deep listening if I get caught by any emotion whether it's anger or any emotion, and I start thinking of myself. So my, my own ego and, and fear are like colluding with each other to take me off of listening with somebody. There's no way I can listen if my ego and fear are like, it's like they do like this and they're, 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 partners together and they block uh it's like if this is my ear you know it's like fear and ego are right here and they're blocking real listening from coming in what do you do when you're feeling that way like what kind of what brings you down to it like you know and what brings me down or what do i do when i'm down no, no. You know, let's say you, you're kind of you're feeling agitated or angry or something. Is there something that you do to kind of kind of get out of your thinking and bring you back down into a? I know when I get agitated that I don't maybe know this at the time, at the moment, but I know you know as soon as I separate myself from the situation. But wait a minute, you know, I just got caught. I got into a low state, an agitated state. There's nothing good that can come of that. You know? And so I might take a walk or do whatever I have to do for my head to clear before I come back to the situation and can deal with it reasonably. It's because I want my I want my wisdom to speak to me. Yeah. And and I'm not, you know, like wisdom is like um uh holding a beach ball underwater. You know, it's always trying to come up to the surface. 
Like it's always talking to us. But because we're, as long as we're holding down the beach ball under the water, it won't come up. But all we have to do is let our hands go. The beach ball pops up to the surface. That's the same way with our thinking, like holding down our wisdom. As soon as our typical thinking relaxes, boom, our wisdom that has always been talking to us anyway, we just can't hear it because it talks with a very soft voice. Um, all of a sudden, our typical thinking lets go and boom, we might get an insight about how to deal with that situation. And that's wisdom speaking. So that always um, is a possibility in any situation that comes up. Wisdom can speak in any situation that comes up. It may take a while for us to hear it, but it's not going to do us any good to grind away on it, bear down on it, apply our intellect, try to get an answer. None of that is going to work. The only thing that's going to work is our heads got to clear so we can hear wisdom. We get new insights. I think that's why so many people have, you know, like they'll find a solution to something when they're, they're in the shower or when they're doing something completely opposite of exactly. trying to find the solution. <laughs> it's when you kind of stop the ruminating or the getting into the analysis of it or trying to dissect it and you just walk away from it. Yeah. So when, when I have a problem now, a so-called problem, because I'm just making up really that it's a problem. Yeah. But when I have a problem that I can't see my way through, I will ask of universal mind or whatever, I'll say, I'd like to see, I'd like to see what I need to see right now to see through this. I'll, then I'll, so that sets the intention to see it. Then I'll take it off my mind. I'll forget about it go about my business, and when I least expect it, something comes, something pops up. And I found that to be much more um, effective than uh, bearing down and trying to figure out a problem. And it's so much easier on the, like it's so much less stressful. Because you don't have to think about it. You just, <laughs> oh. what could be better than that? <laughs> it's true. You wait. You just wait. But then, then you, you find you, you get impatient thoughts. You know, like, uh, oh, I better, I'm not getting an answer yet. I've got to bear down and solve this. Well, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it just creates more clutter, mental clutter. Exactly. Yeah. Has your you've been around the three principles for a, for a long time? Has your experience changed over time? Because it's it it it's a simple understanding yet so profound, and I think 
wisdom just continues to, I don't know, I, I look at it like a snowball. It's a snowflake turning into, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger in its presence. What I've noticed about my understanding of the three principles is that over the years, it's gotten simpler. Mm. And, and Sidney Banks, who was the person who actually had the um, epiphany or whatever, that where he saw that that's all that life was, our mental, emotional life is the three principles in action all the time. Um, he kept saying, you're making it too complicated. It's the simplest thing in the world. I didn't know what he was talking about. It sounded very complicated to me at the time. As, as I kept going further, I suddenly, I suddenly started to see how simple it really is. And to me, it comes down to only two things. Creation of illusion that looks like reality but isn't. So, so we're always in the process of coming up with thoughts that consciousness picks up that, that makes things feel a certain way to us that we think is reality, but really isn't. And we act out of that reality. So that's the first thing, creation of illusion. When we see that, we see that very deeply, it changes lives. Because we realize it's not anything in the outside world that can give me any experience. It's always and only my own thinking about it. That's the first thing. And then secondly, underneath it all, when we are aligned with our wisdom, which happens when our thinking shuts down, as I said before, when we're aligned with our wisdom, it's impossible to commit any problems that are, well, any, to do anything that is, um, I kept thinking of prevention. I didn't want to, I didn't want to think of it in terms of prevention, but in terms of prevention, it's impossible to commit, like to, to get addicted to drugs or alcohol or be abusive to somebody else or um, eat to excess, or not eat at all, uh, or do abuse your kids. It's just impossible to do any of those things when we are aligned with wisdom. And so that's our guide. And I, I um, visited... Um, a friend of mine who works in prisons with the three principles. And I just saw that every single one of those men that were in there, it was, it was an all male prison. So that's why I say men, every one of them 
believed that they had to act out of whatever reality they saw. And if they just had the opportunity to question that reality before they acted, they wouldn't be behind bars. Like if they really saw that it wasn't reality, it was just something that they inadvertently came up with within their own thinking. And it doesn't mean anything other than the power that they give it. They would not be behind bars today. That's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. <clears throat> and it's not even, I mean, it's, it's being done in prisons, but it's being done on smaller and larger scales, like you've seen from the Modelo Project. And, and um, I've, I talked to Stephanie Fox, who's in Tel Aviv, mm -hmm. and working, you know, with people in conflict um, on a much larger scale. Like the potential for this is incredible. Like it's, yeah, it's really mind-blowing. It is. Um, you have written a lot of books, and I, I, I love the books. Is there any chance you're going to do them on Audible? There's a personal... <laughs> Funny you should mention that. <laughs> um, somebody Should Have Told Us oh, has just been submitted as an audiobook. And we'll, should be out. Now, I hate to predict this because I'm always wrong. <laughs> I, I'd say it should be out within the next three months. Oh, fabulous. Um, I just finished doing the audio for my latest book, Seduced by Consciousness. Right. Um, it's going to take a lot of editing because I made so many mistakes. <laughs> I, am not, I am not a professional reader. <laughs> and I did, I, I'm appalled by the number of mistakes that I make. But it's, so it's going to take editing and that's going to take a while. So that one will be out eventually. <laughs> um, I'm having somebody else read Modelo and read Parenting from the Heart. So those are also coming. I just don't know when. That's fabulous. That's, that's fantastic news. I share your books with my clients and with people. Um, and I like the option of having the audio as well. You know? I've been thinking about it for years and years. <laughs> but um, things had to fall into place for me to do that, and they just did. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have um, a expedition coming up next spring to Peru. Do you want to talk about that? I do. This is so exciting. <laughs> it is. We're going to be combining learning the three principles with or going deeper, actually, into the spiritual nature of the three principles with um, visiting um, spiritual sites in Peru, including Machu Picchu. It's going to be happening around mid-March, and it's very exciting to me because it was on my bucket list. How many people are you hoping to take on this? We, we have a minimum of 10, hmm. and already 
brochure hasn't even been officially released yet. Um, and I think it's possible that um, once the brochure actually comes out, it could fill up, up pretty quick. Yeah. Never done anything like this before. I've been on, on a, a work trek, you could say, in Spain, where um, during the hike, uh, people would come up to me and talk about the three principles and bring problems and error and whatever. And that really worked out great. So I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of that as part of the, as part of this trip to Peru. I think it's the perfect setting and approach for people to go deeper or to learn about it. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting pretty old and <laughs> the, the, the notion of retirement has crept into my mind. But when things like that come up, yeah, I, uh, I'm there. You can't say no to that. Can't say no to that. Jack, if you're going to leave our listeners with a bit of wisdom or a thought, what would that be? Well, the, the, the thought is what came to me when I was running on the beach one time. That is, it's, I just don't know where this statement came from because it didn't come from me, but it came to me. And it's the meaning of the three principles in one sentence. All we are is peace, love, and wisdom, and the power to create the illusion that we're not. I love that. That's my favorite statement about the three principles. The, you know, you could, you could spend a lifetime on the meaning of that in terms of its effect on one's life. It is one's life. I'm going to have to ruminate on that one. I really like it. It just, it's, it's landed very nicely. Jack, I want to take the time to thank you so much for having the conversation with me today. I know you're off to Spain next week. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I, so did I. I'm a big fan of your books and, and of you, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jesse Lynn. There were so many golden nuggets in this conversation. Parents, teachers, or anyone working with children will find so many takeaways from this episode. I'm so looking forward to the audio versions of Jack's books. I always find something new in them when I reread them or use them in my coaching sessions. I highly recommend all of Jack's books. Links to the ones that I use or share most often are included in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here are a few thought bomb takeaways. Wisdom is within each and every one of us. It's like a quiet, gentle nudge. Deep listening goes far beyond words, being spoken and being heard. I can tell you, embracing this will change your relationships. We are either listening or talking. If we are talking, we aren't listening. There's a lot of information to be found in being curious, especially when you're having trouble with someone or a specific situation. And finally, discipline that comes from a place of anger never achieves a good long-term outcome. Children learn from what we do more than what we say. A great question to ask yourself before you respond 
is what is my child learning from me and what do I want them to learn? Thank you for listening. I'd be grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you have any comments or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out. Until next time, be well, be inspired, be you. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll share this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Jessie Lynn, please check out the contact page on her website, jessielynnmcdonald.com. Also, we'd be beyond grateful if you would leave us a review. Join us next time for another edition of the CPR of Life.